0: Thank you all so much for seeing with us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we just want to acknowledge your presence with us, even right now. That you are God with us. It's so good, Lord, that just as we sang um, the miracle, Lord, that you would draw us close to you, a holy God, that we can come before your altar and, and you stand there with your arms wide open to receive us. God, it's overwhelming and we're just so grateful. And we pray that um, as we open your word today, God, just to examine what it means to belong, to belong to you and to belong to one another. God, I just pray that you open our hearts and minds to receive what you want us to learn today. And we're just going to trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, isn't it true that um, we all have this sense within us, this need to belong? It's like this need to to be connected is hardwired into us. And uh, there's so many factors as to how secure we feel in our belonging. For instance, how many of you out there are either um, only children or firstborn in your family? How many? Yeah. Yeah, see, I'm a firstborn. You know, we are the experimental children. (laughs) Parents get their internship hours uh, in on us firstborns. And uh, we tend to struggle a lot more with our belonging, much more than the baby of the family. How many of you out there are the baby of the family? Oh, yeah, many of you. Yeah, see, you are uh, very, very connected. You were born into community, you know? Yeah, you, you just have this deeper sense of connection. You know, you grew up. Uh, wearing your older siblings' uh, hand-me-down underwear. You're more connected than you ever wanted to be. And you'll notice that I totally have neglected all of you middle children. You should be used to that by now, right? (laughs) 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 And there are many other factors that come into this. You know, like growing up in my family of origin, uh, my dad's family, they all lived in Oregon. And my mom's family, they all lived in Colorado together. And we were the only Californians. And so we grew up and we just weren't, you know, we hardly ever saw our extended family. So I remember one time in particular, um, our family, we went to go see my mom's big Italian family in Pueblo, Colorado. And uh, we went to go see her second cousin, Nick's wedding. Now, half the people there were called Nick, as a matter of fact. It was very... <laughs> And uh, as we got there, you know, it was just amazing. Uh, the spread of food was a beautiful, and people were grabbing hands and dancing in circles and drinking lots of wine. There were Italian desserts and cookies everywhere. I'd never, ever seen so much laughter and tears and hugging and kissing. I mean, I saw one of my cousins, and he, he grabbed his grandma's face and just kissed her on the lips. I've been thinking to myself, who kisses their grandma on the lips? ooh. <laughs> but honestly, there was this weird moment, I'm telling you the truth, where I thought to myself, I want to kiss my grandma on the lips. I mean, I wanted to be so connected to my grandma that I could kiss, plant her one big Italian kiss on her face. You know. But, and I love my grandma, but I just never was that connected to her. She was so far away. And so here I was in all this big family, but I never really felt like I belonged. And then there were times when we wanted to go visit my dad's family in Oregon. Very different. You see, my grandpa, he was a a logger, and and he and my grandma raised eight children, and uh, they built their own homes, they built their own churches. Many times they grew their own food. And so us Californians would show up, and there would be generations of family all around us. I mean, I had cousins coming out of the woodwork, like carpenter ants, they were just everywhere. And these cousins, they teach us to, how to catch water dogs in the creek and how to cook hot dogs over an open fire and ride ATVs through the forest. You know, they were like Kentucky kinfolk. You know, they were more connected than their own brothers and sisters. And my siblings and I, we'd spend the whole week just trying to kind of fit in. But honestly, you know, we just never quite belonged like they belonged together. My family was kind of this. Isolated nuclear family, and we just eventually blew up. And my parents divorced when I was in high school, and our family split in half, which led to even more isolation into those wonderful high school years where you go and everybody separates in their little groups. You remember that? And there were the the jocks and the athletes and the cheerleaders, and then there were the brainiacs and the band geeks and the cholos, and I didn't fit anywhere in any of that. And so I hung out with the leftovers. And uh, those were my people. You know, we were many colors and many different religions and all kinds of different interests. And to be honest, we didn't have a lot of things in common to connect over except for the fact that we just didn't belong anywhere else. And so honestly, sometimes even today as an adult, I walk into situations and I wonder where do I fit and where do I belong? And I don't think it's a stretch to say that many of you don't feel the same way. You know, I've actually had some really... Canon conversations with many of you that often feel like you don't fit, and you don't belong, and sometimes you wonder even if you have worth, and I get it, I do. You know, in fact, there was a Newsweek article that came out just this past year, and it cited um, this horrible trend in Britain where uh, there were more British men that died from suicide in 2015 than all of the men who died in war since 1945 a full quarter of the men from age 20 to 34. There's a certain desperation that comes from loneliness. The main cause of this, they said, was isolation and a lack of belonging and community. And this honestly breaks my heart, and I know it breaks God's heart. But I know also that there is hope, that God is an answer to our longing for belonging. He's gone to incredible lengths to help us to belong in a significant way. And that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ in our life, we have a sense of belonging. that I just don't think we fully understand. We don't grasp it. And the Bible tells us that we are placed into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says that all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. And salvation is a process of being rescued from isolation and placed into family. So inside your um, program, you've got some message notes. I want to encourage you to take those out, and I've got something for you to fill in there. And that's this, that Jesus saves us out of isolation and into community. Out of isolation and into community. And we really owe it to ourselves to fully lean into and begin to understand what does it mean to be in Christ and to be adopted into God's family. We need to know what this is, and we need to engage with it. See, belonging comes from the author of life, the creator God, who himself lives in beautiful and perfect, harmonious community. And one of the greatest devastations of sin is the fact that sin isolates us from God and from one another. And with sin we comes the brokenness of pride and isolation and shame. And salvation in Christ, what it does is it restores our connection with God, but also with one another. And we're adopted in God's family, and we share His Spirit. In community, we find faith, and we find hope, and we find love. And today we're going to look at a passage that I think is just wonderful because it kind of cracks the door open into this treasure house of what it means to be long with God and one another. The passage is Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. So if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to open it, Hebrews 10. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. The main verses will be up here on the screen so you can follow along. And if you don't own a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab one in the lobby when you head out today. We'd love to, for you to have that as a gift. So there's another point you can put on your outline, and that's this, that biblical community is central to our identity in Christ, our identity in Christ. Now, we kind of have to start with a little bit of background before we jump into this passage, because I think it's important. It helps unlock the whole thing. You see, this book called Hebrews, it was written to the Jewish people or the Hebrew people who grew up in the Jewish faith, but they were beginning to kind of check out what it meant to be a Christian and to find Jesus as their Savior. And the author's explaining to them how all of the Jewish customs and and religions and symbols all pointed to and were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so here in chapter 10, specifically, what the author's talking about is the tabernacle. Here's a picture of a model of the tabernacle. It was the Jewish place of worship. So soon after the Israelites they fled hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, if you remember that, and God gave instructions to Moses to have the people build the tabernacle. See, the tabernacle would help them, help the people understand and know how to worship God in the right way, because they had just, like I said, spent so much time immersed in the Egyptian, this pagan culture with many different, all kinds of crazy gods. I mean, we all remember what happened when Moses went up to the mountain visit with God, right? And the people got together and they made a golden calf. They started dancing around it. Yeah, that was the first musical. (laughs) (laughs) The very layout of the tabernacle and the courtyard itself was purposeful, made by God to teach the people about how to enter into worship with him. The outside perimeter, as you see, was a very high wall with only one entrance because there was only one way to God through the narrow gate. And coming through the gate was significant to the Israelites because it was there that they would receive forgiveness and they would also have fellowship with God. As soon as they entered through the gate, right there would be the brazen altar. And this was the place where they had animal sacrifices and the people would bring their animals, which demonstrated to the people that the first step for sinful man to approach a holy God was for an innocent being to give its life in their place because the wages or cost of sin was death. Leviticus 1.4 instructed the people to place their hand on the animal, symbolically transferring their sin to that creature where the innocent would give its life for the guilty. The priest would slaughter the animal, take its blood into the holy place, you'll see the, tent, the, the holy place there, where he would sprinkle it in front of the veil and then burn the rest of the sacrifice. Now inside, and we can't see inside here, but inside that holy place, there was a lampstand, there was showbread, representing, you know, in, in the um, ancient cultures, bread was a, a, a symbol of communing with one another, an invitation to commune. There was also an altar of incense, And then inside there as well, inside that holy place, there was a sacred space. The holy of holies, or the most holy place, where God's presence dwelt in the midst of his people. Surrounding that space, the barrier was a thick curtain called the veil. The veil shielded sinful man from the glorious and overwhelming presence of a holy God. And even the priests were not allowed to enter into the Holy of Holy place unless they would, or else they would die. Now, inside this Holy of Holies, this holy place was something called the Ark of a Covenant. Here's also a picture, a model of that. And you'll see it's guarded by holy angels representing what's going on in heaven right now as holy angels bow before our God in heaven. And the Ark is guarded, it's, it, it was the God's manifest presence would hover over the Ark. Now, inside the ark were three very fascinating things. I find this so interesting. Inside the ark were three representations of some of the ugliest times in the relationship between God and his people. The first one was a pot of manna. Now, if you remember, manna was the bread from heaven that God gave to the people in the wilderness. And the people, of course, rejected it. And they grumbled about it. And the manna represented The rejection of God's provision. Second thing in that ark was was Aaron's staff, which had budded. And if you remember a little bit of Old Testament, you remember that Aaron was God's priest and the people were rejecting Aaron as priest. And so God said, take the staffs of all the 12 tribes of Israel, write the names of them, stick it before the ark. And then overnight, God had Aaron's staff bud with almonds and flowers this represented how the people had rejected God's authority. And then the third item in the ark were the tablets that, that God had written the Ten Commandments upon. This represented that God had given His law to man, and it was a promise that if they'd follow His law, that He would be with them always. And of course, we know what happened with the Ten Commandments. The people constantly broke God's laws. And so doesn't it seem really fascinating? Really odd even, that the closest things to God's presence were reminders of the horrible, sinful, relationship-breaking ways that man had disappointed God. But what's really fascinating is on the top of the ark was something called the atonement cover or the mercy seat. And this represents the grace and the mercy of God. And it was here at this spot that once a year and only once on the day of atonement, the high priest would go in to the veil inside the Holy of Holies with incense so that he couldn't shield him from the the glorious presence of God. And he would sprinkle on the mercy seat the atonement for God's people. And God promised when he saw the blood that he would cover over their sin. And they would do this year after year after year because there was never a perfect and everlasting sacrifice that would cleanse them perfectly of their sin. And then we come to this beautiful passage in Hebrews ten nineteen to 22, and it says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. You see, everything in the tabernacle, it was a shadow pointing to Jesus. And Jesus Christ, he is our Lamb of God. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. And he became the perfect sacrifice. And through his death on the cross, you see, by his blood, our sins are purified, washed clean, and we stand forgiven you see, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us that that veil of division that separated us from God's holy presence was ripped top to bottom, which was a feat that only God can do because they tell us that that veil was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide and four inches thick. And God ripped it apart in order to tell us that he could, we could belong with him through Jesus. And now, when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the perfection of Jesus. Jesus removed the barrier so that we could be in community with God. We are adopted into His family. <laughs> and now we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are partakers of His life. I mean, isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. So we're going to talk now about how we belong and grow in biblical community. So first thing is that we live in and experience God's presence together. Now, when we gather in community, we can expect God's presence to be with us. As a matter of fact, we should expect God's presence to be with us. Matthew 18 tells us that when two or more are gathered in his name, he is with us. And when you read through the early church in the book of Acts, it's fascinating how they just sensed, it tells us they sensed the tangible presence of God. And then there were times when the disciples gathered and it's like Jesus all of a sudden would pop and appear. And then he'd enter the conversation like he'd been there the whole time. And the next thing they knew, he disappeared. And then he'd appear again. And I think it was purposeful. I think Jesus was showing them That he really had never left them. And that his spirit was still with them. And we have that spirit in us. The Holy Spirit of God in us. God is with us. And he wants us to expect and experience his presence. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. God's designed our times together when we gather to be special, to be dynamic, to be filled with his power. You know, one of the reasons that God gifted us, if you've heard of these things called spiritual gifts or spirituals, the the way you translate it, it, it's directly tied to the Holy Spirit. And what these are are gifts that are given to us that manifest God's power to one another. They're not self-directed. They're outward directed so that God works through us to one another to build us up, to encourage us. 1 Corinthians twelve seven tells us, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Holy Spirit becomes manifest, becomes present, becomes powerful when we use the gifts that God's given us to minister to one another. And so if someone has the gift of prayer, when they pray, God's power in some mysterious way, but God's power is unleashed through that manifestation of the spirit in them. When someone has the gift of exhortation, when they encourage someone, spirits are lifted in an actual supernatural and different way. When someone has the gifts of hospitality and they make cookies, there's a special ingredient in there. I mean, seriously, when we eat them, we feel loved. I mean, isn't it true? <laughs> and these are ways that we encounter God's presence together. Next point, we hold the confident and hopeful faith together. And we know that in this world, isn't it true, that we are constantly challenged. We live in a broken world and even our own human nature, it tends to lead toward chaos and conflict and confrontation, catastrophe. And we need to face the battle arm in arm to remind ourselves that God's with us. Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And when we gather in community and we dig into God's word together, we're reminded of God's faithfulness and his promises and his provision. Romans 10.17 tells us, that faith comes from hearing the word of God. And it's so beautiful (laughs) when we get together and we swap stories of how God has helped us in times of need, right? I mean, in the next chapter of Hebrews, in chapter 11, you go through roll call after roll call of all these people who did amazing things by faith when they stepped out and just believed God and took action. By faith, Abraham, dot, dot, dot. By faith, Moses, dot, dot, dot. By faith, Rahab, dot, dot, dot. On and on it goes through the whole chapter until you get to the beginning of chapter 12 where it says this in Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we're all surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily strips us up, and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us being surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses, the people that have gone before us, and the people who are surrounded around us now in community. It is so important in our walk and journey with God. Our faith grows in community. Reminds me of a story in the Midwest. uh, There was a small community of farmers, and they'd come on several years of severe drought, and it was really getting to a dire place because they needed the rain, to keep their crops vital, to provide for their livelihood. So a local pastor gathered, you know, called people together for a prayer meeting. And as they gathered on the steps of that country church, the pastor looked out, and he got ready to speak and pray. And he spotted a little girl in little yellow rain boots carrying a red umbrella. And he got a lump in his throat. And he asked that little girl to come forward to help him pray. Because she, more than anyone else, displayed great faith that God would actually answer their prayers. The next point is that we motivate one another toward love and service together. We motivate one another toward love and service together. I really don't think it's a mistake that God calls his church the body of Christ. God's perfect plan was to bring salvation through Jesus and then the recipients of salvation would become the presence of Christ in the world. You see, what Jesus did when he was on earth, giving love and acceptance and healing to the broken, the poor and the wounded, that was never meant to stop. That work was entrusted to us. He does it through us, and we need to motivate one another to do it. See, Hebrews 10, 24 says, let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, because isn't it true, right, as we've said before, that our human nature tends to gravitate towards selfishness, self, and self-preservation, but love, which comes from God, is selfless and focused on others. And community is the place where we encourage one another to love others and serve others, even sacrificially. I've always been amazed, you know, when you read through the book of Acts, as it talks in Acts 2 and and through 4, and it gives this beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit united the believers and then had them provide for one another and for the poor and others around them. Acts 4.32 gives a picture of this. It says that the believers were united in heart and mind, and no one considered anything they had as their own, so they shared everything they had. (laughs) You see, Jesus predicted it, and it came to be that the church's love for one another would draw the world to him. The witness of deep belonging within the church hit a nerve with the culture, and they wanted to be a part of it. And they drove to the church in droves. It it ignited a spark and a fire where the gospel spread and the early church exploded. It was the community. It was the belonging. It was the one another. It was the body of Christ doing Christ's work. It's been a part of God's plan from the very beginning. Ephesians 2.10 reminds us, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus did everything in community. You know, he got his disciples together and they fed the poor together. They cast out demons from the oppressed. They spread the hope and good news together, joyfully. And last, we care for and encourage one another. When you read through the whole book of Hebrews, you kind of get this sense as you're reading through it that there's an issue that's being addressed. That these new converts from Judaism to Christianity, they were beginning to waver, beginning to fall away from faith. And not unlike today, you know there were a lot of pressures and persecutions on these people. I mean, you think about their Jewish families that they came from. You think about the Roman culture and the government that more and more viewed them with suspicion. To be a Christian set them apart from the culture, and even threatened their livelihood or even their very life. And some were beginning to crumble under the pressure and sift back in to the culture. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, and especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We really need the care and encouragement of one another, to stand firm and strong and be faithful. Jesus told us, didn't he, that our enemy, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion. And too many of us are kind of like a lonely baby gazelle at the watering hole. You know, we call that lunch. We need the safety and accountability of others who are invested in our life. And can I be really honest about this? most of the time that just gets messy. <laughs> community is messy. It takes effort and willingness and even tenacity to enter into the mess of community. You got to deal with people and their issues. <laughs> you have to sacrifice your time and your busy schedule and you have to engage rather than just kind of relax in your lazy boy. <laughs> Some of us would rather go it alone than have to deal with all the hangups and the hassle, right? Some of you have had a bad experience in community. It's like you got bucked off the horse and you just can't imagine wanting to go back on and get back on the horse again. Some have just retired. It takes real submission and willingness and even faith to walk into community because in community you will be tested. Your patience will be stretched before it's grown. You'll be confronted. Your privacy, it will be tugged at. And that wall may even be torn apart. You'll be confronted by your selfishness and your lack of love for others. And you'll see your desire for your own self and what you want to bubble up. Community is the place where self goes to die and then is resurrected from me to we. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? <laughs> but honestly, this is the process that God uses to transform us so that we love like he does. God has gone incredible lengths for us to belong. Community groups are his chisel to form us in and make us more like Christ. It's where we bring in our broken selves and we find wholeness and healing from Him, but through one another. It's where we are the body of Christ. And this is where we can be the hope for one another and for the community around us. It's where we move from going to church to being the church. It's really what Jesus gave his life for. And I want you just to imagine for a moment, I mean, what would it look like if together we lived in God's presence, together, if we grew our faith, together, cared and encouraged one another, together, served, together. I mean, imagine if we actually did what God created us to do. What would that look like? And then imagine the consequences if we didn't. You see, the application of this message is for us to ask God to please help us understand what does it really mean to belong to Him and to belong to one another, and then to actually engage in that. That is my hope, and that is my prayer. Honestly, for all of us, let's pray. Lord, this great mystery, this beautiful picture, as we even sit here together, that we are connected, all of us, as the body of Christ. So many layers of what that means and what a privilege it is to be part of that. And there's so many things that we can learn. God, I pray you help our hearts to lean into that, to understand it, to be willing to to engage with that, so that we could see what you want to do in and through us. We invite you, God, to make something beautiful of our lives together. In Jesus' name, amen.